I'm going to be uh, talking this morning about Enoch's prophecy. We talked a little bit about Enoch's life last week, who he was, <clears throat> how he pleased God. We'll talk about his prophecy just for a little bit. Uh, but let me, uh, let, me, let me just start by saying this. My, my brother was here this weekend, and he and I had an opportunity to spend a little bit of time together. And uh, when we do, we always wind up talking about churches and pastors and, and church work in general. And uh, we were... We were actually talking about a guy who, if I named him, some of you would know the name, but a uh, really good preacher uh, at, a, at a great church. And yet, uh, he, he told me, he said, you know, but after I, um, after I hear him preach, I feel like I've been yelled at for about 45 minutes. And uh, I, I thought, oh my goodness, um, that's kind of what Jude is doing right here. <laughs> um, so I said, I don't want to yell at you. This morning, I certainly never want to do that. Uh, but but I'm going to tell you something, y'all. Uh, we we better wake up. We better start paying attention uh, to what's going on around us. Um, and the church does need to rise. Uh, we are, I suspect, in this day and time, the only real, true Christian witness in a world that seems to be growing darker and darker and darker. And um, we got to let our light shine. But I think we do that by the verse right before that, if y'all heard it, let us fall to our knees. We probably need to do a little bit more praying and a little bit less um, programming and um, ask the Holy Spirit to show up and, and start working in our mission and our lives. Uh, Mickey and I talked this morning again before I left. He was heading back to Florida and, and uh, we were just talking about preaching and, and service and um, talking about altar calls and all those kinds of things. And, um, and he just basically said, look, he said, I learned a long time ago that nothing happens unless the Holy Spirit prompts it anyway. So, but, you know, um, I, they're just, you know, as we look at it and as we see it, there ought to be an urgency in all of us as believers uh, to be sharing the gospel, to bringing people into the kingdom, and to uh, witnessing and, and working for the Lord um, as much as we can. Uh, we looked at these verses last week. We'll, we'll begin in verse 14. Uh, Enoch, uh, the, seventh from, uh, the seventh generation from Adam, also prophesied. So he was a preacher. We talked about him being a preacher last week. And he prophesied of these men saying, who, who are these men talking about? These are the apostates. These are the ones who have crept into the church unaware, who are just wreaking havoc basically by their false teaching. And, uh, and then here, here it is. He said, look, the Lord is coming with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on everyone and to convict all who are godless. And that word godless there is really he uses the word ungodly over and over. I mean, he just ungodly, ungodly, ungodly. He just called them what they are. Uh, execute judgment on everyone and to convict all who are godless of all of their wicked deeds or godless deeds or ungodly deeds that they have committed. And of all the terrible words that godless sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers, complainers who walk after their own lust. Their mouths speak arrogant words and they flatter others to gain profit. Let's pray this morning. Father, we just ask you this morning to open your word. We pray that you would open our understanding. 
We hope we, 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 we're, we're in hopes that the Holy Spirit will just reside in this place for just a few moments as he ministers to our hearts and lives and as he makes application in our hearts and lives to these words that we've read this morning. God, this is your service. This is your time. Uh, Father, if you want to interrupt it, uh, do it. Uh, whatever you want to do in this service, we ask you just to have free reign in this service through the work of the Holy Spirit this morning. In Christ's name, amen. There have been um, people who have questioned the book of Jude because Jude actually quotes Enoch here, and there's no other place in Scripture where Enoch basically says this. This comes from one of the books of the Apocrypha. It's Enoch 1. Actually, there are two books. It would be like this. You say, well, why is it in there? Well, there are a lot of history books that quote a lot of people uh, who, um, who, are, who have told something, who have said something that's true. And, and it's the same here. Um, think about this for a moment. Jude is writing the New Testament. He didn't have the New Testament. Uh, the only Bible he had was, was the, the, the Law and the Prophets. Uh, this was, I mean, they're writing Scripture right now. They're writing uh, the canon of the New Testament for us. And so he, he was obviously well-read. The, the book of Enoch would have been well-known uh, among his readers, the people of that day. It would be just like going to the bookstore today and pulling a Christian book off the shelf and reading that. It's not Scripture. Uh, but but let, me, let me just uh, warn you of this as well. Don't pull a book off of a shelf in the Christian section and allow that to develop your doctrine. A lot of people have a lot of opinions. Somebody, somebody called me here not too long ago. Man, I read this quote. What do you think about it? And, and all I could say was, uh, it sounds good, but it's not Scripture. That's not in the Bible. Uh, and so, this kind of, kind, of, kind of the way it is here. Enoch, Enoch has, he, Enoch has this written of him. This is something he said, something he saw, something he perceived. And so uh, Jude just puts it in there. Now, we talked a little bit last week about Enoch, but there, there are three things that, that really just stuck out of my mind this week as I was kind of going through some of this about what the life, what was life like in the time of Enoch? Why would Enoch prophesy of something like this? And, and I think just, just thinking through something very, um, just, just very general here, uh, first of all, uh, he was living in an age that was socially permissive. Socially permissive. Any, anything goes. If it feels good, do it. Uh, whatever it is that you want to do, um, just do it. Whether, whether in the name of Christ or not, that's, that's the real problem today, ladies and gentlemen. There's a lot of things going on in the name of Christ that are so far from Christ that um, you, you couldn't even recognize that that's part of it. Uh, matter of fact, in verse 4, you remember Jude said they, they pervert the grace of God. They're perverting God's grace, and they are um, turning it into lasciviousness, which was basically just loose living, doing whatever you want to do. Because we're under grace, because my sins have been forgiven, I can do whatever I want to do because I'm forgiven. Uh, so, so it was a time of social permissiveness. It was also a time of, of scientific progressiveness or what I might call uh, genetic engineering. You say, well, where do you get that from? Well, Genesis chapter 6. When you remember angels procreated with humans and you had this, this race that was born and uh, they, they wreaked havoc. They were basically monsters if you want to just get right down to it. They were probably the reason for the flood. But there was this, there was this experimenting. 
Uh, think about all the genetic experimentation that goes on today. Crossing this with that and trying to make this with that. And uh, just playing, playing God basically. Uh, the third thing was spiritual presumption. We saw that and see that in the Tower of Babel. These people weren't necessarily uh, godless people. They just didn't want God to rule over them. And so they go and they, they build them this big tower. They didn't want to do it God's way. They wanted to do it Cain's way. They were more concerned about uh, following God um, his way. They were more concerned about following um, um, their way than it was God's way. What was God's way? God's way was blood. God's way was the shedding of blood. Their way was works. Uh, it was very interesting that this morning I just had an opportunity to talk to some of our college kids. And, and one of the questions I asked them is, is does, does any of this that you see today make any sense? Because somebody from my generation makes no sense whatsoever. And, and one of the things that was said I think was very insightful because here's the deal. The gospel that we preach, the gospel that's being preached, the gospel that most people hear, uh, is a gospel that says if you'll do this, if you'll be good, if you'll stay together in marriage, if, if you don't participate in these sins, then um, you're a good Christian. But the fact of the matter is there's a whole lot of people out there that are not saved that are that way. So it's like, well, why do I need Jesus? Because I do that already. That, that's kind of what was going on. During this time, Enoch, in Enoch's day, there was a declaration of judgment. In Jude's day, he is giving us a declaration of judgment. In our day, ladies and gentlemen, we talked about the apostasy last week. That is our declaration of judgment. And I want to show you something here because I want you to get this. If you don't get it, this is, I, I walked away from my, from our kitchen table where I lay my, I, I, get, I get to lay all my stuff out so I can just grab it and pull it and, and, um, I don't type anything. I handwrite everything because I can do that a lot faster. And I can keep my train of thought when I'm writing. But when I was writing this, it was one of those where I just had to get up for a moment and walk around and think this through. I really got to think about this because the mentality, I think, among us is Jesus is coming and he is. He's going to make everything right and he is. He's going to create this perfect world, and he will. But uh, the fact of the matter is, is I'm afraid that we have missed the point, and the point is this. Jesus is coming to judge. Okay? So, so that, that's just got to sink in. That, that's got to sink in for some of us because, you know, we, we, don't, we don't like the fact uh, that, that, you know what, we, we're going to give an account. Um, and I want you to see this right here because he says, Look, the Lord is coming with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on everyone. You will, as a believer, stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not for your salvation, because that's already been taken care of. There's no record. Listen, there's no record. If you know Jesus is your Savior, there's no record in heaven of your sin. But there is a record of your words. And your works and your actions and your attitudes. You're going to give an account for that. So Jesus is not coming and he will come. Look, I, I get it all. But the fact of the matter is, is I said this to my brother this morning. He said, what are you preaching? I said, well, um, I'm preaching on uh, the prophecy of Enoch. And I'm talking about 
and trying to go, try to get across to our folks that Jesus is coming to judge. He, he is coming as a judge. And he went, oh, yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is we, we've got we to lock in on this and look at this. Now, now, here's the thing. If you're here this morning and you're depending on your good works, you're depending on your church attendance, you're depending on your kind and merciful heart toward people who are suffering, and, and, and we should all because Jesus was that way. You're depending on the gifts that you give or the offerings that you give. All those good things that we think a good Christian is supposed to do. Just know and understand that Jesus is coming one day. And if you have not confessed him as Lord and Savior and come under the application of the blood in your life, you are in deep trouble. Because the Lord will look at you one day and say, I don't know who you are. But didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do good works in your name? Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. If you're depending on anything other than Jesus Christ to get you into heaven, you're going to be found wanting. Because I'm telling you, the Bible says our works are like dirty rags. Your, your righteousness, that we, we become so self-righteous, so righteous sometimes. Like, well, well, we're so good, we're so clean. Listen, I'm going to tell you what. If, if you stand under the gaze of the Lord Jesus Christ in your sin, you'll feel like the dirtiest person that's ever lived. William Gurnell was, a, was an old theologian. Here's what he said. None sink so far into hell as those who come nearest to heaven. He says, because they fall from the greatest heights. Now, I want to show you two things here, and, and uh, I've I thought this through before. One of the things I think in my ministry is, is I, I, I go on because, man, I want you to get it, you know. I just want you to get it. And sometimes we just need to be reminded and, hey, give it to you, let it sink in, you chew on a little while, and then do something with it. So I want to show you two things, just two things this morning. I want, you to show, I want to show you the coming judge and his justice. The coming judge and his justice. Look at verse 14 with me. Enoch, the seventh generation of Adam, also prophesied of these men, saying, The Lord is coming with 10,000 of his holy ones. Two points here. Number one, the reality of his coming. Revelation 1-7, Behold, he comes with clouds. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 20. Behold, I am coming soon. Acts chapter 1 verse 11. As, as the disciples were standing that day watching Jesus go into heaven, they said to him, why are you standing here gazing to heaven? This same Jesus will come. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is coming. Now notice what, uh, notice what Enoch says here. He is coming with 10,000 of his saints. Now 10,000, we look at that and we go, well, that's not a whole lot. fact of the matter is... That is just a figure of speech that says a number that can't be counted. 10,000 was a magnificent number. When, you know, they didn't even think in terms of thousands when Jude was writing. And even when you go over to the book of Revelation, you see him talking about the angels, and there are thousands upon thousands and myriads and myriads and myriads. Just a number that nobody can, nobody can number. You can't count them. There's so many. They're coming. Jesus is coming. This same Jesus who walked on this earth, who the disciples walked with, who he taught, he will come. 
the reality of his coming. Harry Ironside was in a revival one time, and I, I, I thought about this because I've heard this a lot of times before. I heard this from young women. Um, I don't want the Lord to come because I want to get married. Now, now look, this may be a little off, but it was kind of funny to me when I read it one time because this guy was pretty blunt when he said, so we have a generation that's equating um, the return of Jesus with sex. I, I want to get married first. It's like, God, man, is that, is, that, is that where we are? Is that how far we've come? But I've heard that before. All of you have heard that before, too. And here's what Harry Ironside said happened. He, he was praying a prayer to end his sermon that morning, and he said, Even so, come Lord Jesus. And when he got to the back, there was this woman who was pacing back and forth. How dare that man? How dare that man? And finally, he just walked over to her and said, ma'am, what's the problem? She said, it's something you said in your prayer. He said he thought for just a few minutes. He couldn't, he couldn't figure out. He couldn't remember what he had said. But then he began to realize that he had just prayed that the Lord would come. He said, oh, oh, oh you mean the coming of the Lord? She said, yeah, that's it. I don't want Jesus to come because it would mess up my plans. And he said to her, young lady... Jesus is coming whether you want him to or not. And that's the fact of the matter, ladies and gentlemen. He's coming. I know a lot of us would like to put it off, and we'll talk a little bit about next week about why some of that is. But, 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 but that's the reality. Jesus is coming. Get that in your mind. Jesus is coming, okay? Why is Jesus coming? Well, look at what he says again. To execute judgment. He's coming to execute judgment. Now, we have... In uh, John chapter 14, we have in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we have other passage, passages that talk about the joy of His coming, and it will be joyous. It will be a time of great joy and a, and a time of great celebration. But this passage is not one of those. He is coming in judgment. And ladies and gentlemen, judgment is a part of His coming too. Judge is also a part of His character. Now, notice what he says he's going to do. Execute judgment on everyone and to convict all who are godless and all their wicked deeds that they have committed. Yes, Jesus Christ is coming to separate the goats from the sheep. Yeah, Jesus Christ is coming to separate the saved and the unsaved. But the fact of the matter is, is Jesus is coming to separate godliness and ungodliness. Okay? Now, I've come to believe something I want you to hear me, okay? I, I do. I want you to hear me. I, I've come to believe something that maybe goes a little bit different from, from the way a lot of us think. Because we're going to get to heaven one day, okay? And we're going to stand before the Lord. We've all played this little game about what we will say to the Lord if the Lord says, what right do you have to come in? And all of us have played this scenario of, well, I made this public profession of faith when I was young. I prayed this prayer at vacation Bible school. But let me, let me ask you a question. I think the Lord's going to look at this and go, then how did that change your life? 
I think the Lord will be looking for those professions of faith, but I think he will also be looking at a changed life. When God looks down at you and he looks at me, he's not looking at the profession. That's a one-time thing. How has that changed your life? And if you're living the same that you lived before salvation, after you made a profession of faith, then chances are that profession of faith meant nothing. If a man is in Christ, he is what? A new, not a renovated, a new creation. That means a whole new nature is what that word means. It means means that whatever you were, you're different from that now. And I just believe with all of my heart that Jesus, when he looks at us, is looking for a changed life. I ask you the question again, how has salvation changed your behavior? How has your life been since you've been saved? He's coming to execute judgment against ungodliness. Deeds that are done in the open and deeds that are done in the dark. Words that are said audibly and words that are said inaudibly. Your thoughts. Those things that you have held your tongue that you wanted to say to somebody... But you have said it in your heart. God heard that. And you're going to give an account for that. How has your salvation changed your life? And I just, I just have developed a philosophy all my life. And look, I, this is not judging. I, I don't think this is judging. But no true change, no true salvation. Listen to the book of Hebrews. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man will see God. Without holiness, no man will see God. Well, that's the judge, the judgment. Let's look at the condemned and their character. That's really found in verse 16 there. The condemned and their character. Enoch, the seventh generation from Adam, also prophesied of these men, saying, Look, the Lord is coming with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on everyone and to convict all of the godless of their wicked deeds that they have committed, and of all the terrible words that godless sinners have spoken against him. Okay, now, these men are. Now, I want to keep this in context as much as I possibly can, because one of the things that Jude is trying to do here is, is he's trying to mark off, he's trying to identify these apostates. And when you look at this, you go, well, I'm not an apostate, but he's talking to me. Um, you know, it's just pretty easy for saved people to act like unsaved people, isn't it? Sometimes. So look at what he says about them. He, these, these things, now notice what he says. These people who have spoken against him. That's the key. That's the key. So who are the people that are speaking against him? They're speaking against Christ. They're speaking against his coming. They're speaking against everything he stands for. And what does he say about them? He says, first of all, they are grumblers. Grumblers. Why am I this way? Why did God do this? Why did this happen to me? Why did God let this happen? Isn't it amazing how when a tragedy happens, even the ungodly say, see there, look what God's done. Having this conversation, I've said it before to you a lot of times. Listen, let me tell you something. If you're not careful, and if you're not paying close attention, and if you don't know your Bible, 
And if you don't know where you stand with the Lord, when you have a tragedy in your life, there will be people who are trying to help and trying to give you comfort that will lead you to believe that God was the one that caused that. I, 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 I don't mind telling you, I have, a, I have a really hard time when a great tragedy happens and somebody says, well, that's just in God's plan. And all of a sudden you got to go, listen, if I, if I followed the, uh, the, the dialogue, the, the, the talk over the years that I've heard about the loss of our daughter, I would have to believe that God killed her. Y- y'all with me? These are the grump. people that don't even know God. They, they, they grumble against God. Thomas Watson said, Our murmuring is the devil's music. I thought, Holy cow. So, look, if you are a grumbler, you may be saved. If you're a grumbler, if you're a murmurer, if you're a gossiper, then you are dancing to the devil's tune. Time to get off that dance floor, ladies and gentlemen. Don't grumble. Don't grumble. How many of you, how many of you could have one inch to your height? How many of you could change one, one moment of, of your DNA just, just out of sheer will? You see, we we um, we just grumble and we complain about all kind of things. I think I have gotten to the conclusion. I, I told Randy Holder this morning. I went to their fiftieth class reunion last night, and I told him this morning, "Man, you've held up pretty good. Um, you're looking fine, yeah, yeah." And I looked at it and I thought, "Holy cow!" And then it was like. Man, at least we're above ground, though, right? Hey, we're going to get older. We're going to wear out. But the fact of the matter is, is that's, that started back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. And it's been all downhill ever since. These apostates, they grumble and complain. And they want to draw you into that. When you do that, ladies and gentlemen, you are doing the devil's work. They are grumblers. Caesar at a banquet one time called all of his men together. And um, they, they, they threw a big banquet. And uh, all they needed was for the weather to cooperate. And the weather didn't cooperate that good. It rained on their parade. And so Caesar asked all of his men to take their bows and their arrows and shoot their arrows at Jupiter. That was their God. Shoot them up there at Jupiter. We're mad at him. He caused it to rain. He rained on our party. Well, you know what happened. All those arrows came back down and pierced those guys through. Let me just say this to you. The person that you murmur about Things you grumble about may not ever reach those people. As a matter of fact, it may not reach the throne of God, but I'm going to tell you what, there's coming a day in judgment when it's going to reach you. It's going to pierce you through. Those, those grumblers, those murmurers, those, those, those backbiters, those gossipers, don't do that. And then he talks about 
the lusters. They walk after their own lust. You see that? Walk after their own lust. Apostates lust. They walk after their own lusts. They want to move the boundaries of morality. Think about that for a moment. They want to move the boundaries of reality. They want to make holy and sanctify immoral things. They want an excuse. They want God to approve of their sin. And so they will twist and they will turn and they will manipulate Scripture to the point to where you'll all, listen, if you're trying to find something in the Bible to justify your sin, you can find it. I, I did this quote and I've said this before, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. They, listen, they want to let sin and loose living into the pulpits. I was walking back and forth when I was putting all this down. It concerns me because, folks, look, it's out there. It's right in front of us. They want to move the boundaries of the Word of God and misrepresent it in order to allow their own perversion and their wandering and their pornographic lifestyles to, to, to be acceptable. The problem is that it's difficult to get away from when you start family came to my office two weeks ago and they y'all would know them they 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 have they've been here for a long time and they walked into my office and I hadn't seen them for a while and they said I guess you've been missing I said yeah I have so we want to tell you our story we've been going to another church in another town because our son who's been a drug addict all of his life uh, got saved and it's what we've been praying for for a long time and we just wanted to go to church and watch it. I said, that's exactly what you need to be doing. He said, but you know what? It had such a hold on him that three months ago he killed himself. Here, 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 listen, here, here's the thing about your lust and your sin. It is difficult not to go back and to go back and to go back and to go back. It, 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 it grabs a hold and it hangs on. Once you have embraced evil, young people, once you have embraced evil, it is difficult, difficult to, to, to get out from the, the grip of that sin and that evil. As the Bible says, they are like a dog returning to its own vomit. Or like a pig wallowing in the mud. Embracing a lifestyle in the name of Christian love. Becoming inclusive in the name of not wanting to be unmerciful. Y'all listen to me. They say it is not merciful to embrace a lifestyle that the Bible condemns. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. The most merciful thing you can do is tell them the truth. The truth that will release them from that lifestyle of sin and degradation. I saw a bumper sticker here a few weeks ago. And here's what it said. Listen, all of us, we've all been touched by this. I just get it, but it's reality. It's what was out there. Love is love. That's what it said. Love is love. 
No, it's not. God is love. 1 John. Love is telling somebody the truth. Love is bringing somebody to Jesus. Love is being merciful, even in the midst of a difficult situation. Let me ask you this question. What lust is so sweet or so profitable that it's worth burning in hell for? All sins begin with lust. Money, power, drink, food, pride, status, business, etc., etc., etc. They are lusters. They are flatterers. You see what he says there in verse 16? Their mouths speak arrogant words and they flatter others to gain profit. Flattery, ladies and gentlemen, is intoxicating. I read this week where a man once said that talk to a man about himself and he'll listen to you for hours. Flattery is telling somebody exactly what they think about themselves. That's why so many people don't like the gospel. Because <laughs> the gospel don't tell us what we think about ourselves. The gospel tells us what we are. We're lost and without hope. And we're not going to face the wrath of God. The Bible says the wrath of God's already on us. Flatterers. Just standing in the pulpit and telling everybody everything's great. Everything's going to be okay. Just keep living a good life. Just um, do this or do that. Or, uh, you know, here's how to have a productive life. I mean, all this... All these things out there, ladies and gentlemen, that's out there in, under the, the disguise of what we call prosperity gospel is just telling people what they want to hear, giving them what they want. People don't like the gospel. Someone said that a chameleon makes more friends than a porcupine. But the fact of the matter is, after a while, a chameleon forgets what he is. They are grumblers. They are lusters. They are flatterers. Romans 13, 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. You need to get up in the morning, folks, and put on Jesus. Put on that armor. Talk your way through putting on that armor. Protection that God gives us. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11. We are to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But we are to reprove it. When I was talking a few minutes ago about love and telling the truth, that's what it is. Reproof is not just, just hammering on somebody. Reproof, reproof is not doing something like we used to do in school and get slapped across the hand with a ruler Reproof, a lot of times, is speaking the truth in love. Christ is coming, and he's coming to judge. It's a fact that we all have to deal with. There's an old man who was an archbishop. His name was Cranmer. And um, 
He was actually one of the first fathers of the Anglican Church. Reading a little bit about him not too long ago, and it's pretty interesting. Uh, he was one of the uh, very first to embrace um, uh, Protestantism and the Reformation and uh, salvation by grace uh, through Christ alone, inerrancy of Scripture. All those things, you know, all those things that we embrace as believers. Um, but during the Reformation, he was forced by the Queen to renounce his stance on the Christian faith and the tenets of our faith, virgin birth and, and grace and salvation. And so under pressure, he, he signed that document, a declaration that said that everything he believed about salvation and faith and grace was wrong. Afterwards, he was under such great conviction that he renounced all of that and embraced all of that again. Now, the queen that we're talking about was called Bloody Mary. Y'all have heard of her. She got after him. And um, she brought him in. She brought him before trial. She convicted him. Sentenced him to burn at the stake, which she did. The fire was lit. And here's what Archbishop Cranmer did. While the, while, the, while the flame was coming up, that man stuck the hand that signed that declaration into the flames and watched it burn. And he said, that unworthy hand. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're not living, breathing for the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives, we're not worthy to be called his followers and his child. That's what he's talking about here. So, well, Gary, what do we do? I don't, we don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Here's what you do. Don't give up. Don't give in. Hold your ground. Hold fast. Stay with it. Jesus is coming. 